Good morning. I am the last chapel speaker before Thanksgiving, so I've got your captive audience here. Um, Jim made sure to tell me three times to make sure what I have to say is interesting so <laughs> and not boring. So I'm not sure what that means, but I mean, I know what it means to be interesting. I'm just not sure why he tells me that three times. So <laughs> apparently I, uh, I have a knack for being boring or something. Um, what I wanted to do this morning is, uh, is share with you guys testimony. Um, I shared my testimony four years ago uh, in a chapel when I first got here, and it probably was boring. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to try and make it a little less boring this time. Um, I thought maybe we would start with a game that we used to do up at M-Dub, uh, just to get a get-to-know-you game. Um, and it's called, uh, what is it called? Two Truths and a Lie. So, uh, I am going to tell you two truths, if I can think of them, and a lie. And you have to guess which one. Okay? So, um, first one. I'm obviously not going to tell you which is which. First one is, uh, I hitchhiked from Portland, Oregon to Colorado, and in the midst of it, I drove a semi and almost crashed. Okay, so that's the first one. Uh, second one, I, I took a, I led a mission trip to Mexico. <clears throat> I better censor this one. Uh, I led a mission trip to Mexico, and uh, while in Mexico, I went to one of the host's house, and it was his birthday, and I said, Feliz Cuplio, now I can't even say it now, Feliz Cuplio, años, no, años, I said años. So you can imagine what I wished him. Um, and then, shortly after that, I wished his, I was trying to say good evening to his mother, and I said, uh, Buenos Naches, which translated meant nice buns. <laughs> Okay, so that's number two. Number three. What's number three? Oh, how do I phrase this in a, an appropriate manner? Um, I don't do it anyway. That's true. Um, so I, uh, <clears throat> I was treed by two grizzlies and took pictures of them mating. So it was awkward for everyone, trust me. <clears throat> All right. So, which one of those is a lie? Two? Two or three? Okay, the lie was I was going to tell you a lie, so they're all true. Um, I know, that was good, huh? Um, So I wanted to tell you, I wanted to share my testimony with you guys, and really what I wanted to focus on in my testimony is uh, I did really wish the guy a happy back end. Um, It was really awkward. My wife hit me a few times. The funny thing is, Grandma wanted to sit by me the rest of the evening. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I have a fallback plan if things go sour here. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, God's pervasive grace in my life. Um, and, and not in a, in a typical way. Um, the Lord has been gracious, uh, as He has been to many of you. But sometimes I think I can uh, only look for the good things in my life where the Lord has been gracious, where His grace invades in my life. And <clears throat> I want to share with you guys uh, my story and God's pervasive grace in my story. And I want to start uh, in 2002, so May 27, 2002. Uh, and I want to start with a little bit of a story. 
May 2002, uh, May 27th, my wife and I were uh, house-sitting for some, some friends that we had gone to college with. Uh, we were at their place, and <clears throat> my wife was out of the house. She was going to get groceries. She was getting groceries because we didn't have any food. We had had pizza the night before, and uh, in our hustle to get everything moved in and taken care of, uh, we had some pizza left over, and it got left out on the counter overnight. Uh, and so she's out getting groceries. I'm at home. I'm pretty hungry. It's getting close to lunchtime. I'd put the, the pizza in the fridge that morning, but it had been out all night. And I opened up the fridge, and there was nothing in the fridge, hence why she was going to get groceries, except for the piece of pizza, slice of pizza I'd put in there. So, you know, I'd only been married for two years at this point, so I had some, reminis- uh, I had some remnants of bachelorhood left in me, and I saw the pizza, and I thought, I'm going to eat this pizza, which obviously was really stupid. So I ate the pizza, uh, wife came home, she loaded up the groceries, day went on, got into evening, uh, we didn't have TV, but our friends did, so we started watching TV, and I remember distinctly uh, the, either the Miss America or the Miss Universe pageant was on, and she was watching that, and I felt something deep within kind of rumbling, <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is not going to be good, and so I didn't want to say anything because I, was, I knew it was stupid, I ate the pizza, uh, the pizza from the pit, uh, and so I'd eaten the pizza, and I, it was rumbling, and I could feel it, and like, I'm trying, I hate throwing up, like absolutely hate throwing up, uh, and so like I'm concentrating all my willpower, and Miss America's going on, and I'm just thinking this is it's just bad all the way around, and I'm starting to sweat because I'm concentrating so hard on not throwing up, and finally I like, I've got to let the cat out of the bag, and I tell my wife, I'm like, I've got to throw up, and she's like, what? And she's like, why? So you know, I told her I ate the pizza, and she's like, you moron? <laughs> I think she did say that. And uh, so then I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And so I try and hold as long as I can, and it's just not going to happen. I've got like a massive eruption uh, boiling. And so last minute, I run to the bathroom, didn't even make it to the toilet. I puked in their sink and totally filled their sink. Oh. Like completely filled it uh, in the bathroom. And you know how like when... My wife, like, when she gets the flu or whatever, she tries to make herself vomit, you know, because uh, she feels better after the fact. Well, after I vomited, uh, I didn't feel better. I felt worse. I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. I thought I was going to feel better. And then, like, an hour goes on, and it's just building again. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. Well, this goes on for most of the night. Uh, 2 a.m., my awesome wife has turned into an orderly, uh, cleaning up my missed attempts at getting the toilet, um, and, uh, and so she goes out, and she gets uh, some Gatorade, so she left, she came back, uh, and she's trying to get me to drink Gatorade, but I just, I can't, I can't even look at it, it just makes me so nauseous, and she's exhausted, she's, uh, she's spent, uh, she's a little still upset for me eating the pizza, uh, and she, she's like, I just got to lay down for a minute, so she goes in the next room, she lays down, and she's just gone, she's zonked. Uh, and I'm, I'm still there because it's coming at a greater frequency. So I'm, I'm starting to vomit like every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes. I'm, I'm, and it's violent, like just violent. And uh, I know you guys are like, just before lunch, you're ruining it. This is Thanksgiving. Um, interesting enough, right? Yeah, this is good. All right. All right. I'm just going to talk about vomit the entire time. Um, so anyway, I... Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in bed, and I remember a distinct point. Uh, it was probably like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I'd been up all night. Uh, and I remember a distinct point where 
I couldn't even walk to the bathroom more. I, I was like literally army crawling to the bathroom trying to make it in time. Um, and I remember sitting in bed and just, uh, just realizing, and this realization came over me of this isn't, this isn't food poisoning. Something else is going on here because this is not food poisoning. Like I should not be vomiting like this. And, uh, and just kind of getting a little bit scared. And time goes on a little bit further and realizing like my hands are you know, like shaking, and I'm doing everything I can to, like, maintain control of my body, but I, I remember, like, just this, this thought pops in my head, and I'm like, I'm dying. Like, I am literally dying. Like, I could feel, I don't know how to describe this, but, like, the insides of me, I was losing control of. Like, I was losing control of my, like, being in touch with my body, and I thought, this is what it feels like to die, and I'm dying, and I don't know what to do. All right. So that's, that's my story, and we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. Um, it's got it's to be interesting, right? So uh, hold the tension. So that was 2002, May 2002. What I, and I, I want to share my testimony, so we're going we're gonna to kind of hit rewind and, and jump back to uh, before I was born. Before I was born, uh, I was born into a legacy of faith. My, uh, my grandfather, who's still living, uh, was a Baptist they would call him a Baptist preacher. He was a pastor in the Baptist denomination and, and a man of God. Uh, had six kids, five girls and, and my uncle. Um, and my mom was the oldest of six. And, uh, and he loved the Lord. My grandma loved the Lord. And uh, my mom loved the Lord. And it was in that context that I was born. And it was in that atmosphere I was born. And... Uh, we went to church all the time. Like my parents actually helped start a church, and uh, it ended up being one of the largest churches in Colorado Springs where I grew up. And so I grew up in the church, but I did not like church. I actually hated church as a young kid. Uh, my mom, <clears throat> I remember she, uh, when I was five, she got me down on the, the floor and, and we prayed the prayer. And I remember thinking, "All right, mom wants to do this. I like mom. Let's do this." And uh, prayed the prayer, but I. I know I didn't, I didn't quite grasp what was going on. Um, I just knew I wanted to please mom. Well, then I, I prayed the prayer, and we did the church thing, but I hated church. I hated the fact that I had to go to church, and my parents couldn't explain to me why. Uh, why do I need to go to church? I mean, it's good you guys go, but why do I need to go? And uh, that progressed. I was never an outright rebellious kid. I was just, I was kind of I like order. I like uh, things in their place, and so uh, I don't like being out of order. Um, sound like a game. Um, <clears throat> I like things orderly, and so <laughs> I maintained balance and, and maintained uh, just being a good kid in uh, in the household. Except outside the household, I had a mouth. Like we would try and invent cuss words because uh, we just wanted to see what we like. There were the bad cuss words, and then we'd try and invent things, which just sounded plain stupid, but. Uh, we wanted to be those kids, and, and we did. We got into a lot of trouble. We lit things on fire, fire department stuff, and um, it was bad. Uh, but I was never rebellious. Like, my parents just didn't know, so, um, but I was never rebellious. And then, uh, and, and my family situation is, is my dad was a real estate agent, and he, he was doing really well. He was doing commercial real estate. Uh, in the early 80s, Things were just hopping. I mean, he, was, he had all of our college paid for, for my uh, two other brothers and myself. We had a really nice house in a great neighborhood, and then the market crashed. 
uh, just bottomed out. And for two years, he didn't make one sale. Uh, and we just started to have to get rid of stuff. And I remember at one point, and I was at an age, uh, I was in elementary school. I think I was third grade when this all started to happen. I remember at, at one point, my parents were talking about losing the house. And in third grade, I didn't, I didn't quite get the idea of what losing the house meant. To me, that meant the house gets taken from us, and we go into the street. We, we live with the street. And so I had visions of fighting off rats and warming ourselves, you know, for food, warming ourselves over trash barrels like you see on TV. That was my thought. And I thought, man, that's going to be my reality. We're going to lose the house. We're going to lose everything. And I still remember making the very conscious decision of, of mom and dad can't take care of me. I have to take care of myself. I can't trust mom and dad to take care of me. I've got to do it. And so that's, that's what the internal decision I made. And, uh, and so I, I lived according to that, that truth that I declared in my life. I lived according to that. And I became less and less involved in the family, and I became more and more depressed. My grades started slipping in fourth and fifth grade. I just gave up on homework because my thought was, is, well, who cares about homework when I may not have a house? You know? And I, I, I had plans of running away because... Things were just, it wasn't, it wasn't planned, it wasn't careful, there, things weren't taken care of. And so my thought was, is, well, I've got to go into the mountains, something that I, I enjoyed, and I'll take care of myself. Uh, what that eventually led to was uh, from about third grade up until about fifth grade, I started slipping into a depression, like a deep depression. Like my mom got worried and took me to the doctor to get medication, which I refused to take, uh, kind of depression. And... Uh, and became very suicidal. Uh, and it, it's interesting, even, even in the depths of depression, the Lord uh, met me there with His pervasive grace. Uh, he met me there because He kept me on this cusp of, of depression and, and just the weight of the reality of life, like this feeling the sin in the world and feeling the sin in my own life, but then also just not past that. He didn't push me over that into the, I was scared and I was afraid of that moment of death, the event of death in my own life. And that was enough to not push me over that edge. I just didn't want to feel the pain of that instant where death strikes. And so uh, I was kind of hovering in this place. And, and what it eventually ended up doing is that depression made me, at a very young age, turn into myself. Um, I, I hated people. I, hated, I didn't want to have anything to do with people because I couldn't trust them. I couldn't trust anyone. So uh, I didn't want to have friends. I didn't you know, at lunchtime, I would make sure I got as far away as I could outside, even if it was like uh, 10 degrees out. I'd go eat outside by myself as far away from people as I could because I couldn't trust people. They were unstable. Uh, I could only trust myself. And I began driving deeper and deeper into myself. And I think that I see that as God's pervasive grace because he took me to the end of myself. And what I found was more of me, the thing I was trying to even run away from, the thing I, I, I didn't want most of was me. And yet, in the depression, in the, in the trying to escape from everything else, all I was left with was more of me. And it scared me to death. It literally scared me to death. I was terrified that all I would ever get was more of me. And that was the one thing I never wanted more of. Because I knew what I was like. I knew what I could provide. I knew what my worth was, what it was worth. And, and I knew it just wasn't enough. I wasn't enough for me, and I needed something more. And I think through depression, um, God's pervasive grace in that 
is at a very young age when my friends were playing video games and playing kickball, I was in my room uh, journaling and just trying to say, God, why am I even here? What is the point of my existence? Why is Micah Forsythe on this planet? Why? Does it, does it even matter? Does this world even matter if I'm here? You know, in fourth and fifth, sixth grade, wrestling with that. And it, it really made me ask some questions that my friends, I mean, you know, what fifth grader really thinks about those things? But it made me ask those questions that maybe my friends weren't asking and confronting things in my own life of saying, I'm not, I'm not good enough. There is nothing in me as deep as I can go that's sufficient for me to, to answer the questions of my existence. And, uh, and so I knew I needed something more. I hadn't gotten to, Lord is everything I need, but I was on that way. I was on that track. And so in, de- in, in the depression, the Lord allowed me to go there, but he, he was there with me, even though I'd refused to, to meet him there. Um, eventually in high school, uh, the Lord uh, brought, some, brought some friends around. Uh, but then just, I, I think after I had wrestled through this this. Um, darkness of finding myself uh, and finding that's all that I had, uh, the Lord helped me to understand I need something that's outside of me. I need something more that's beyond me. Uh, and I turned back to my mom's faith, uh, to, back to Christianity and said, God, I know you're out there. I don't even know who you are because I grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian state, in a Christian city like Colorado Springs. It's like the Mecca of Christianity, Right. And so I grew up in that town, like, focused on the family. There were 300 ministries based out of Colorado Springs, and, you know, it's everywhere. But is that why I'm a Christian? And I said, I don't want to know you in a way that I'm programmed to know you. I want to know you for who you say you are. That's, that's, I know there's a God out there because I'm not him. And I didn't generate myself. I don't have purpose for myself. There's got to be something more. And so I, I began looking at... Um, studying Christianity, but I wanted to have an open mind. So I tried to look at other religions as well, but through God's providence and His grace, He brought me back to Himself, um, to Christianity, to biblical Christianity. I started diving into the Word, and I couldn't get enough. I just loved the Word, getting in His Word, uh, and, and spending time with Him. I think high school, middle of high school, about this time was the first time I read uh, the Bible from cover to cover, and I'm like, wow. I'm going to do that every year. It took me about a year to do it. I'm going to do it every year. And just started diving into it. And so his grace, his pervasive grace, met me in the darkness and walked me through into his light. And uh, I don't have a specific time where it was like, boom, this is where uh, I, again, prayed a prayer or anything. Maybe he saved me at five. I don't know. But his grace was with me through that entire time. And I remember, again, making a, a distinct decision in my mind where... Either, either this is true, either it's all true, or it's not true. And if it's all true, uh, because the world, I went to public school, and the world said this wasn't true. Uh, they said evolution, biology, all that stuff, and I was, was going to be a bio major. Um, said, you know, all that we see is what's real, and they make fun of this. I had friends that made fun of the Bible. And I decided, well, I've got to pick, I can't ride the fence. I've got to pick a side. Like, I've got to make a decision pick a side. So I said, well, I'm going to pick this side, and if I'm wrong, I want to be all wrong. Like, I don't want to do this half, half in, half out thing. I want to be all wrong if I'm going to be wrong. But if I'm going to be right, I want to be all right. And so that's what drove me to uh, decide to go to, to Bible college. Um, I didn't want a degree. First, I started out uh, doing um, uh, 
I went to Colorado University or University of Colorado, and I started with a, a biology degree because I love science and it just makes sense to me. And I just thought, what is this life about? Like, I don't want to just get a job and, and do the white picket fence and two and a half kids, however that works out. Um, I want, I need more than that. And so dropped out of, of college and uh, decided, well, I want to um, I want to go into ministry, whatever that looks like. And But I didn't want to do a degree because I, I just wanted to be rebellious, I guess, or try to be. Uh, so I ended up going to a, a one-year Bible college called Montana Wilderness School of the Bible. And um, all that did for me, I, I thought I was going to get my one year out and then I was going to go do ministry. And that was, it was like, all right, now I'm going to go do ministry. Uh, and all it did is just show me, how, one, how much I didn't know, and then two, how much I wanted to know what I didn't know about the Word. And it just whet my appetite for the Word. Uh, so then I went to uh, Multnomah uh, Bible College, which is now Multnomah University, and uh, dug into the, to the Word there and spent five and some years there uh, working, on another, or working on a degree. In the meantime, though, uh, there were some odd things going on in high school. I wasn't necessarily like a lot of the other high school kids. I was super intense. Like, just, I wasn't, things weren't funny. Like, life is serious. Life is completely serious all the time. I know. Completely different from the way I am now. <laughs> Students laugh. That's great. Um, I was all business. Uh, I also slept, on average, about four hours a night. Uh, I couldn't sleep more than that. My mind would just, I couldn't shut it off. Um, I, I begged my mom. My friends would take NyQuil to help them sleep. I begged my mom, please let me take NyQuil. And she's like, no, you know, she's a nurse. That's stupid, Micah, stupid. Um, so, but I, I couldn't sleep. Um, and <laughs> there were a lot of other things going on. But I, just these, these uh, propensities, I, I would get, connect, I'd get connected to something, and I'd just be like full bore into that. And it worked out great when it was the word. Like when I got concentrated on the word, it was like full bore the word. Uh, but there were some weird things going on. And it started to progress and escalate as I got into college. My wife met me um, in college. I think Jim last spring showed a picture of all the staff. Was that spring? Yeah, showed pictures of all the staff. And, and I didn't look anything like I did now. I had like a really round face. And that was something that was changing. Like no matter what, I, I was a fanatic uh, at working out. At, uh, I was vegetarian for like a year and a half because I wanted to lose weight because I was like 260, I think. Uh, right after I got married to my wife, like big dude. Uh, but I, I worked out for an hour a day. I rode my bike about 30 miles a day to work and back, uh, and then I'd run in the morning. And all it would ever do is I'd lose muscle and gain more fat. And I'm like, what the? And so <coughs> we, uh, I got married to my wife. I t- we say she married me in my fat day, so uh, I know she's hooked. Um, <laughs> nailed that one. Um, so... After we got married, uh, we were married for a while. But then more weird things, because I still didn't sleep. I slept about four hours a night. But more weird things would happen. Um, uh, she, she would, like, grab me to show me something, and i get these huge bruises on my arm just from her grabbing. And my skin started turning almost translucent, like you could see my veins through my skin. I was like, what? Um, and so I'd go to give blood, you know, and every time I'd spray the, the tech dude, they'd come in with these full face masks, and it would... St- so they banned me from, and then I get these bruises that took my entire arm, and they say, you're not coming anymore, which shot my college money. Um, and so <clears throat> all of this started to happen, and, and through God's grace, I got a job at REI. And REI had awesome insurance. Uh, 
So I had to work there for a year, got insurance, uh, which leads us to 2001. December of 2002, I got insurance. It was like, yes, went and saw a doctor, and she's, well, she never let me see the doctor. She thought I was just an egotistical uh, kid uh, because I'm like, I, I'm, I explained a lot of my, my symptoms, like what's going on, and she thought I was just, you know, I told her how much I worked out and how healthy I was eating, and she thought I just wanted to look different than I was, which I wouldn't have minded that at the time, but, but there was more going on. I just didn't know how to explain it because they were all disconnected. And uh, finally, my wife, I had given up. Her, her advice to me is, is like, everybody's different. Everybody has a different normal. And that's what I'd been telling myself, okay? I have a different normal than everybody else. And uh, my wife said, no, you got to press harder. Uh, my brother said, uh, he's a PA, physician assistant, and he said, I think you have something called Cushing's. And my wife, I said, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, my wife said, uh, told, the, told the nurse person, whoever she was, she said, we want to go to an endocrinologist. Uh, we want to get tested by an endocrinologist. And the nurse literally said, uh, you can do that if you want to waste your money. And, and so I'm like, okay, we don't want to do that. But she sets it up. My wife sets it up anyway. Five minutes in the doctor's office, and he says, I think you have a rare disease called uh, Cushing's disease. Uh, and effectively what it was is my, we're coming up on finals week. This is, this is how my older brother related it to me. Uh, coming up on finals week, uh, Cushing's is a stress, it's what causes a stress hormone, cortisol, to be released uh, all the time. You, cortisol is what your body uses when you're stressed out. It's like a fight or flight hormone that gets released into your body. Uh, and so <clears throat> coming up on, uh, for those of you that are procrastinating, so you can relate to this, you'll know how I felt. Uh, it, they said it's like finals week, but all the time. So the reason I wasn't sleeping is because I was stressed out. And it was funny because I remember as a kid, my mom would say, Mike, are you stressed out? I'm like, I don't even know what you mean by that. Like, what does stressed out mean? And the reason was because I was stressed out all the time. Um, and I didn't understand what it meant. So I didn't sleep and all this stuff. And it did, it did lots of funky things to my body. So the prognosis was is either you can get some radiation. When what they found is I had a tumor on my pituitary gland. So your brain, your pituitary is kind of tucked up in there. And I had a tumor on it. And they're like, well, we've got a couple options. We can nuke you or we can go in and cut it out. Uh, and I thought, well, I don't want to get nuked. That doesn't sound like a good idea. So they decide they're going to go in and cut it out. Now, the way to get to underneath your brain is through your nose. So I got like gelatinous nose here. It's fun to play with if you ever want to <laughs> kill some time. Um, so they... <laughs> entertaining, right? Okay. So they, uh, they cut up through my mouth into my nose and then pulled my nose aside. And then I know some of you are going to get blown. And then went back, uh, and they, they took a little, he said it like an ice cream scoop, and he scooped out my tumor off my pituitary. Um, and the repercussions of that is I used to make, uh, my body used to make too much cortisol, like two and a half times what a normal person does uh, all the time. And then after the fact, my body made no cortisol. Well, you kind of need cortisol. Uh, it, it helps, especially with your joints. They give you shots if you have joint problems. And I made zero, so I had to get take it orally. Well, we get out of the hospital, and they, the, my prescription can't be filled that night. Uh, and what that ends up escalating into is, is um, in one week's period, I graduated from, from Multnomah. Uh, two days later, we had our anniversary, and then two days later, we, I, I went in for brain surgery. And then that next night, <clears throat> uh, we stayed at some friend's house, and we couldn't get the medicine. 
And uh, it basically set my body into uh, just whack. Uh, and I got something called diabetes insipidus, where my body tried to eject all the water in my body. So that's what happened that night. We thought it was bad pizza, but it was my body trying to get rid of all the fluids. And God's pervasive grace in this. How was God's pervasive grace in this? I think two things. Um, because in high school I was so serious, I did, had, partying was stupid to me. Drinking was just stupid to me. Drugs was stupid to me. And I think the Lord preserved me through a lot of that because I just literally would be like, you guys are morons. Uh, not you guys, of course, but, uh, <clears throat> um, but my friends in high school, I just thought, that's stupid. Uh, and kept me out of a lot of that trouble and kept me on the path um, that he had for me. And then the other thing is, is it got me in the word in a way that I don't think I could have outside of that. Uh, just because I didn't have enough willpower when I don't have Cushing's like I do, like I did when I had Cushing's. Because um, when I got focused on something, I was all in. And the Lord used that to, to get me into his word and to take me on a path that led to him. And then after... We had surgery. There were complications. Um, I literally was dying. Uh, went to the hospital the night of the 20s, or the morning of the 20s. God's pervasive grace. Out of the blue, a doctor calls, don't even know who he is to this day, calls my wife at our friend's house, not sure how he got the number, calls her, wakes her up, and says, you have to take him in because I couldn't talk coherently at that point. Um, my brain had begun to swell. And so, fortunately, God's pervasive grace we, or the friend's house we were house-sitting at was like four blocks from the ER. And so was able to get me there in time. Uh, I ended up having a seizure. I lost at least 24 hours, I don't even remember, um, and bit through my tongue, which created an awesome lisp. Um, and God's pervasive grace in, in, in this as well is my wife, uh, for that 24-hour period, I was in the ICU with, they had me hooked up to a bunch of different stuff, I don't remember any of this, but apparently I'd sit up and uh, just start ripping things out of me, and I would look right through her. And the doctor said, well, there's a good chance he'll recover, but there's no guarantee. And in her mind, it was, I'm two years married, and my son could, or my son, my husband could be in a vegetative state for the rest of our marriage. And she said, and she made a conscious decision at that point, I'm all in. I'm in. He can't love me back, but I'm in. Man. God's pervasive grace to give me a woman like that. And the short story of it is, is uh, after that, and there's a lot more to it. It was like living in a horror story because uh, there was a lot going on outside of that. But um, we pulled through it. My personality changed completely. I don't know that I have much seriousness left in me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it changed completely, and it took a lot of adjusting. Uh, for our marriage. I mean, can you imagine you marry one person and two years later they're totally different? And God's pervasive grace in that is is, uh, we have worked through a lot in our marriage and stuff that comes up now uh, as we look back is like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's hard. We walk through it, but it's not that big of a deal. And God uh, brought me a a woman and gave to me a woman uh, that loves the Lord. And we have... uh, one of the outcomes is we may not have been able to have kids because of uh, my, what had happened to me. And, uh, and Lord gave us three kids that are each of them a miracle and all of them totally unexpected, uh, which was awesome as well. And uh, his grace is in our life. And I think 
the testimony to me of God's faithfulness is, we talk about this in D-Lab, is everything is more of a chance to know him. And are we looking? Are we keeping our eyes open to see God's pervasive grace in places that we, we least expected? And, and I know, as I look back, my wife um, has been just a huge blessing. When we first got married, she created a, a book she called God is Faithful Book. And we would just sit down every now and then and, and write down God's faithfulness in our lives. And I tell you, that book has saved our faith more times than I could probably count. Times where life is just hard. It's just hard. And we're like, God, where are you? To be able to go back to that book and read, there you are. You're right here with us. And I'd encourage you guys, uh, young married couples before you're married, man, get into a habit of recognizing God's faithfulness in your life every day. He's there. Are we going to see? Will we take the time to see? Will we seek to know him for who he is and not for who we want him to be? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not finished with us yet. God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient, that it overcomes and overwhelms, that it is pervasive. pervasive. It, it invades our lives, even in spite of us. God, I thank you that you don't stand off hoping that we're going to do good things for you. But Lord, you're uh, intimately involved in every detail of our lives. And Lord, you use every single opportunity, every single opportunity, every <clears throat> joy and mishap, every struggle and suffering to teach us more about who you are. Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us a mind to understand and a heart to believe that we might fall more in love with you, recklessly in love with you in this life and for eternity? In Jesus' name, amen.